On today's episode, Ashley shares the story of Bobby Kent and the seven friends convicted of murdering him. Welcome to Crime Bar. Hi. <laughs> Silent wave that no one can hear. Yeah, no one can hear that I waved at you. Good afternoon. Hi. It's good to see you. <laughs> it's <laughs> good to be seen. As if I don't see your face all day, every day. Yeah. It's a dream, well, really. <laughs> it's good to see you here, like mm-hmm. behind your mic. It's yes, in a professional setting. Yeah, yeah. at work. Yeah, <laughs> working at a play. What's up with you? Hi. Hey, how are um, you? Hey. Hey. <laughs> Just tanned our buns together outside. Yeah, we're tanning a little bit. Yeah. We had a nice... Rum punch cocktail. Mm-hmm. Delicious. Delicious. I think I liked it more than the one the fo- the following week, <laughs> the prior week. The well, duh, because we didn't do we didn't put like ten shots in one cocktail. Yeah, my apologies if you guys followed along to that. We will follow, or we did follow, and we'll continue to follow the recipe from here on out. Yes. Who do we think we are? I don't know. <laughs> Mixologists, <laughs> I guess, which we are not. I had never made a cocktail before and I hadn't practiced it. I hadn't looked at how to make one. <laughs> we I were just, frazzled. We were yeah. nervous, overwhelmed. Yeah, it wasn't good, but we did better the next time. I hope this story is better than that cocktail. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just <laughs> it's it's not. better told. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure I'll tell it better than we made that cocktail, but mm-hmm. in terms of the contents, no, it's. It's really not upsetting. Yeah. Um, I'm doing the story of uh, Bobby Kent. He's like a teenager from Florida that got murdered by his friends. Great. (laughs) Yeah. Do you know that? I. If you if you do. Yeah. (laughs) Do you look at I look at Ashley and I go, do you want me to know about it? (laughs) (laughs) If you know it, you can tell me the truth. It's not like I'm going to. Okay. It's a good one. I'm not going to scrap it just because you've heard it. (laughs) Well, close your laptop, walk out. (laughs) (laughs) We done. Okay, so I got all of my information from a book called Bully, written by Jim Shoots, and I and there were other sources too, but it seemed like all of those sources cited the book by Jim, so mm-hmm. I just listed everything on the website like usual. So the story takes place in the glorious state of Florida, mm. in Hollywood, Florida specifically, and it is dripping with like teenage angst. I thought you said humidity. <laughs> well, yeah, that too. I'm I'm certain. Mm-hmm. Um. And no, it's just teenage drama. Yeah. You know, like Angsty. teenagers, teenagers can't think beyond next week. Like next week is the future to them. And, yeah. s- and it is so evident that all of these teenagers in this story, like think like that. Like they yeah. cannot think logically beyond themselves. They the world. can't. Oh, literally not beyond themselves or next week. Like that's great. The most they can do. And <laughs> so it's types. <laughs> so frustrating. Okay. Lisa Connolly was born on July 31st, 1974. So she's a Leo. Leo. She was an only child and her parents divorced when she was young and her dad started a new family and sort of did that thing where he just moved Forgot on. Forgot about left. him. Yeah. 
Uh, so she was raised by a single mom and they didn't have a lot of money or anything like that. She, Lisa also didn't have a ton of drive. Like one day she came home from school and told her mom that school is a waste of time and she didn't plan to go back. So she said that she was ready to make a living and she was going to go out and get a job. So she gets a job at a dry cleaners. <laughs> okay. Uh, when she was 18 years old, is that's sort of when the story takes place. She, at that point, she's kind of frumpy. Um, she's like she's never had a boyfriend. She spends mm-hmm. a lot of time on her own. Okay, so a point that was continually made through everything that I read was that she was just very, like, unkept. Like, her okay. hair was always tangled and greasy. She'd go days without showering. She'd wear the same clothes repeatedly. It was just... See, and I, I'm not shaming her mom in any way, but it was like her mom's just working. Yeah. Like she's, she can't be home like. Telling her to wash her hair. Yeah. And so she just was sort of like unkept in that kind of way. And she had never had a boyfriend. She was obsessed with the idea of getting a boyfriend. And like all teenage girls, yeah. her bedroom wall, like floor to ceiling was plastered with cutouts of hot men and women because she wanted to be that girl a model and she wanted to be beautiful and she wanted to be able to be beautiful enough that she gets men like in these photos and it's all these like beefcake bodybuilder types like really ripped dudes above the her collage she also wrote in big huge letters what women want okay that's so that's a lot that's kind of endearing a little bit but also weird as heck so Lisa's best friend since middle school, her name is Allie Willis, came from a very different life. Her family was really well off. Allie was beautiful and really popular and wild. And she had her pick of the crop when it came to boyfriends. So it's very opposite, you know. Mm-hmm. And these girls were like not supervised in the least. Okay. Like in the least yeah. at all. Like for example... Allie started having sex and experimenting with drugs and alcohol as young as 12. And then she also started like regularly running away at that age. Okay. And she'd always be gone for a couple of days at most before getting returned back to her family. And and then once when she was 14, she and a friend of hers decided to run away again. Both girls are 14, but dating 18 and 19 year old dudes from some local gang (laughs) (laughs) so the girls asked their boyfriends to drive them (laughs) (laughs) they asked the the boys to drive them to miami so they could like get jobs and like make a life for themselves or whatever whatever they thought was gonna happen happen. yeah so the boys pick them up and they drive them towards miami but then they veer off course and they pull over on this empty stretch of highway that was like shut down for construction or whatever And they tell the girls to get out of the car and they play a game of truth or consequences. So Truth or dare, you idiots. Yeah. (laughs) Every time the guys decided decided that the girls had answered wrong, they made the girls remove an article of clothing. And then once they were fully nude, the boys took turns raping the girls (gasps) at knife point. Yeah. So after this... They tell the girls to get in the car, and they started driving towards this really isolated beach area, but they stopped for gas first. Okay. So while they're at the gas station, somebody noticed these two very young-looking girls in the back seat, looking disheveled and scared, and it all just, like, it looked really wrong. So they call the police, and luckily the cops are there, like, literally within seconds. They haven't even had time to leave the gas station yet. So the girls tell the cops everything that happened and that they thought the guys were taking them to this isolated beach to kill them. So the guys get arrested. 
you know, they get charged and all that stuff and they're each sentenced to 12 to 18 years in prison. After this experience, Ali started exhibiting all of the symptoms of paranoia and PTSD. She had totally normal responses to experiencing a trauma like this. And she became really like reclusive. She didn't want to yeah. leave the house. She stopped going to school. Oh, and one day her parents came home and they caught her nailing like blankets to her window. And they asked her what she was doing. And she was like, I'm so afraid that other members of that gang are going to come and kill me. I don't want them to know what room is mine. Oh, my God. And so she she was just very Frightened. frightful. Yeah. She was just very, very scared. And she was so young. She doesn't know how to deal with Something process like that. That. I mean, no. I don't think anyone would, you know, even. No. So she also starts lashing out. She would have these really violent screaming outbursts where she'd flip furniture and break glass and so forth. And her parents were completely clueless when it came to how to handle to this. They believed that not talking about it would be what made her capable made of go moving away. on. Yeah. So they just wouldn't talk about it, which obviously okay. is the exact opposite of what she needed. So even though that was their logic, her behavior became so outrageous that they ended up taking her to a therapist. Good. But nobody told the therapist that she had been raped. So she just spent like weeks and weeks meeting with this therapist every week, not really cooperating, not opening up, not telling the therapist. What had happened. So then they just, she just ends up not going anywhere. She just stops, you know? Yeah. And things, her behavior just continues. It's, Mm. it's just all sad. Yeah. So Allie's parents finally come to the conclusion that maybe if they move far away from Hollywood, Allie will feel safer and maybe she'll go to school again and she won't be so paranoid about these gang members getting revenge on her. So they moved three hours north to a place called Palm Bay. She started going to school again for a little bit and she started making friends so it kind of seemed to improve, but ultimately that's not the solution to her, her issue. So uh Eventually, she just drops out of school altogether. Her behavior just continues. This other example of like how clueless they were, when she would have these really like violent screaming outbursts, Mm -hmm. they would just give her anything she wanted to make her feel better. So they did not know what they were doing. They had no idea. No, they literally just threw money at the problem. It has never worked for anything and anyone. Wouldn't talk about the problem and just throw money at her. So they would take her like clothes shopping. They'd buy her presents. They'd let her go hang out with her friends and stay out like as long as she wanted. And then when all else failed, they would just give her a credit card and tell her to go do whatever she wanted to feel better. So Allie had lived in Hollywood all her life. And even though they did move for her sake, she was, you know, 15 at that point. So Mm -hmm. all her friends are still back in Hollywood. So as a way to, again, make her happy, her parents buy her a brand new Mustang so that she can make the three-hour drive down to visit her friends whenever she wants to. Okay. So Allie would go to town. <laughs> she would go to town. She'd go to town. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <You're> really- <laughs> Anyways, I regret everything about that. So Allie would come to town and she would couch surf for a few days and she would treat all of her friends to shopping sprees, charge to the credit card. She'd hire like limo drivers to chauffeur and her friends around town and she'd rent like hotel rooms to throw parties in and stuff. God, what's this credit card limit? I know. And this is so sad because like at some point after the rape and then after her family moved away, Allie got tied up in some horrible child sex trafficking situation. Where she was one of them? Yes. Oh, my God. 
there was this really disgusting, well-known sex offender who got busted for pimping out teenage girls. He used teenage girls to recruit other teenage girls, and he'd send them out to big mansions and yachts and so forth around Florida to spend a few hours with these wealthy pedophiles. Like the Epstein's Literally, dudes. that's exactly. That's the demographic. That's precisely it. And these girls kept coming back to him because, I mean, he would give them such a huge cut of the earnings that all of those girls were earning way more than their peers who were working at the mall or the movies or whatever. Yeah. So it was just this vicious cycle of girls seeking him out because of it. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so she got tied up in that, that I don't, I don't know the extent of it, just Mm -hmm. that she was identified as one of the victims sometime after she had been raped. And so that's just another horrible trauma she was experiencing. And I, what pissed me off so much this is in the early 90s this specific part of the story about Mm -hmm. this sex trafficking thing because she was getting pimped out and times are different now all of the articles and the book and things like that that I was reading would refer to her as a prostitute or one of the sex offender guy, one of his whores. Yeah, she's a child. And I'm like, no, no, no. She's a child who got manipulated and victimized. Mm -hmm. She's not an adult who chose to be a sex worker. It is not the same thing. She's a victim. That's what we'll call her. So anyways, Lisa, even though she's Allie's best friend, Allie never told her about the rape or about the sex trafficking thing. Well, it's unclear about the sex trafficking thing, but Mm -hmm. she she never confessed to her about the rape. The so, best friend? Yeah. So Lisa. Isn't the best friend there? It was a different girl. Oh, She gotcha, had a friend gotcha, with her, gotcha, but it was gotcha. a different one. Oh, it was not. Li- okay. Yeah. It wasn't Lisa. So Lisa, she does, she suggests some things later that make you feel like, why would you ever put your friend through that? But she didn't know that Allie was going through anything. She okay. didn't know about her, her past. So in December of 1992, Allie is in town visiting Lisa for the weekend Lisa's complaining about her body. She wishes she looked more like Allie. She wishes she could get a boyfriend and all that stuff. So Allie's like, I know what to do. Let's go shopping and I'll buy you a new bathing suit and we can go to the beach and find some like hot surfer dudes to take us out. Okay. So they go shopping and Allie buys Lisa this bathing suit that's like $150. Jeez. Yeah. And then before leaving the mall, they stop to get sandwiches. And the girls are both like flabbergasted at the two boys behind the counter they both look like all these beefy dudes on Lisa's wall. At the deli? Yeah. What a lucky find. <laughs> I know. That does not happen. <laughs> so one of them is darker. He's got like chocolatey eyes and black hair and he's really tan. And he introduces himself as Bobby. And then the other one is blonde with lighter eyes. He's like very surfer dude. His mm-hmm. name is Marty. And they both have like massive muscles. Like massive. Like their t-shirts like look like steroids. they're about to... Like steroid massive, yeah. like they're huge and they're teenagers. So it's like wearing like mesh how you get those. Yeah. <laughs> they literally look just like the guys on her wall. So they're just like, they just like hit the jackpot mentally. Yeah. So Marty nods to Lisa's bag and he says something about the girls going out shopping today. And she tells him she got a new bathing suit. And then this other guy, Bobby makes a joke about fat girls in bathing suits. Oh, so he's great. Oh, just wait. We love him. So Marty takes the girls' orders, and while the guys are making the sandwiches and chatting the girls up, Bobby gets annoyed by Marty for something that he does, and he shoves Marty so hard that Marty literally, he knocks him to the ground. And then as he's standing up, Bobby tells him, tell those bitches they should come party with us later. Oh, God. (laughs) Roid rage, stupidity. (laughs) I know. Youth. 
So Marty asks the girls. Hey, bitches. <laughs> Let's party. And they say yes. Oh, well, how could you say no? I know. So they exchange pager numbers and they start to leave. And then Bobby yells out to Lisa, just so you know, you're Marty's date. He likes big girls. The hot one is with me. Perfect. <laughs> Thanks for clarifying. So anyways, despite those remarks, Lisa is like beside herself with excitement because she thinks Marty is the hottest guy she's ever seen. She's basically been manifesting him like all these yeah, years, like on her wall. Yeah. And now, boom, he's just made her a sandwich and they have a hot date later, you know? That does so, sound like paradise. So she's really excited. And Allie thinks that Bobby's an asshole, but she goes along with this date for like Lisa's sake because she's so excited about it. So the boys pick up the girls later that day and they take him to the beach. And the guys want to go surf, so Allie and Lisa just sit on the sand and watch them. Marty seems very interested in Lisa, and Allie is, like, sort of warming up to Bobby because he's super hot after all, and I guess at 18, and that's all that charming. matters. I know. <laughs> so the boys are done surfing, and they pile into the car to head to a party. They stop at a liquor store and Bobby tells Marty to go inside and buy the alcohol. And when Marty was like, well, give me some money. I don't want to pay for it by myself. Mm -hmm. Bobby is like immediately red and bulging. Like, like, yeah. And he's, he grabs Marty's ear. He twists it as hard as he can. And he yells, what's that boy? What did you say? Did you say, yes, sir, boss. I sure will buy that for you now, boss. And Marty like Ew. screams out because it's he's twisting his it ear hurts. and is he tries to pull away and so Bobby lets go and as soon as he lets go Marty just calmly gets out of the car and he goes in and he does what he was told and the girls are sitting in the back seat stunned like what the hell did we just see yeah what was that Bobby turns around and he tells Allie to get in the front seat with him he says get in the front seat baby. <laughs> He like constantly refers to her as baby, and I just like it, it bugged me so much. Me it was so gross. I can say it, but he can't. <laughs> yeah. So then Marty comes back out with the booze, and he gets in the back seat with Lisa, and they head off to this party. But then on the drive, Bobby pulls over into some random empty parking lot, and they're just like blasting music. They start drinking and passing around a joint, and then out of nowhere, mid conversation. Bobby grabs the back of Allie's head and pulls it down to his lap and yells, Welcome to the party, bitch. <laughs> See, girls, there are good men out oh there. Oh, my God. <laughs> you just hold out for your Prince Charming. So she gives him a blowjob. Oh. And then they start having sex in the front seat. And Lisa is, like, stunned. Yeah, well, like, yeah. she... She was completely inexperienced to begin with and then shocked that her friend is having sex like inches from her. Yeah, right in front of her. But then Marty starts making the moves on her. So then they end up having sex in the backseat at the same time. And I just was like reading like, this like, oh my God. Like, I feel like you and I as adolescents were in such different places. And these girls oh, like, you think you carried a briefcase. I was homeschooled. Like, Polar opposite yeah, 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 worlds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So different. Not even on the same spectrum. Yeah. So anyways, that's the start of Marty and Lisa's relationship. Like, it's such a cute, you know. It's a, it's it's a, a meat cute. I was going to say, <laughs> like all rom-coms. Yeah. Marty Puccio was born in Florida on March 21st, 1973. So he's an Aries. Aries. He came from a very typical middle-class family. There's not really a ton to say about it. 
And when he was seven, a boy named Bobby Kent moved in four houses down. Bobby was born May 12, 1973. So he's a Day after me. Yikes. His parents, Fred and Farah, had immigrated from Iran, and they changed their last name to Kent to try to like help their kids assimilate to American life a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And they were, I feel like most immigrant parents, they like really drilled a strong work ethic and politeness into their kids, and they worked really, really hard to give their kids a good life. Fred and Farah said that Bobby, when he was a little boy, he was very bubbly and full of personality and was very curious and friendly. So anyways, the boys become instant best friends. They were totally inseparable. Everyone in the neighborhood would joke and call them the Siamese twins because they were just, they were never seen without the other. Mm -hmm. Marty's parents remember their son often coming home from playing with Bobby pretty scraped up. Like sometimes he'd have a bloody nose. Sometimes he'd have a black eye. Sometimes it was just like bruising in different places on his body. And Marty wouldn't talk about it. And his parents just sort of like chalked it up to like roughhousing and boys will be boys, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But Bobby was like a really stocky little kid. And Marty was like really skinny. Nobody seemed to notice that Bobby never ever had any of those things after roughhousing. Very one-sided. Right. So as they get older, both the Puccio parents and the Kent parents did not want their sons to be friends with each other. The Puccios thought that Bobby was a hot-headed bully who was a bad influence on Marty. And then the Kents believed that Marty was lazy and not going anywhere in life. And they worried that his influence would derail Bobby for making something of his future. I'd choose the lazy kid. I'll take Marty. But none of that mattered because the boys were inseparable. And I guess with uh, sticking to the theme of this <laughs> story, every, all these kids do what they want. Like okay. regardless of what their parents say. wonder what that's like. Yeah. That was not my experience no, growing no, up, but I know same. it wasn't yours. So in high school, Bobby was very popular and outgoing, whereas Marty was sort of his like shy, skinny, tag-along sidekick kind of thing. When they were about 16, Marty's mom said that he started to beg them to move away. Like he became really depressed. He wouldn't confide in them what was going on. He just kept insisting he wanted to pick up and move far away from Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And when they tried to get an explanation from him, he would just like shrug it off and stop talking. And they were just like, we can't just uproot our lives because our son is like having a problem. You won't even tell us what the problem is. So they compromised by letting him move in with an aunt in New York, like for a few months. Uh But I don't know what the reason was. Eventually he came back. And when he came back from that little move, he started acting out so severely His behavior was so bad that teachers started complaining about how disruptive he was and wanted him removed from their classes entirely. Then Marty and Bobby got arrested for petty theft and Marty dropped out of high school. Mm. So this was like the last straw for the Kents and they put their house up for sale and Fred told the kids they had no choice but to move somewhere else so that Bobby would stop hanging around with like deadbeats because he was just like sick of this. Spiraling. Yeah. But Bobby begged and pleaded with his parents and swore he would stop hanging out with Marty as long as they agreed not to move. So they agree. They take their house off the market. They stay in Hollywood. And as soon as, like, things calm down, he just goes back to hanging out with Marty like normal. Like He doesn't uh, keep his promise? (laughs) (laughs) No. Surprisingly, Bobby is the only teenager in this entire story who graduated high school. (laughs) Like, everyone else literally drops out. A degree means nothing. Right. So after he graduates, he and Marty spend eight to 10 hours a day together. They always got jobs together. And if one of them quit or was fired, the other would leave too. 
they also went to the gym on a daily basis and lifted weights for a minimum of, of two hours. And okay. they did start taking steroids. That's why yes. they're so huge. So Bobby had gotten into it first. He just became this like beefcake overnight and then told Marty like it was because yeah. he discovered steroids. So then Jump Marty the starts doing it too. Yeah. So they sound now, codependent. Oh, <laughs> to say the least. So now they're just hopped up on steroids and they're teenagers is terrible marty says that bobby was always prone to violent outbursts but the steroids made it so much worse like it it never usually took bobby very much to like fly off the handle Mm -hmm. but then after he started taking steroids it could be something like marty needing to stop to get gas while they're driving would anger bobby to the point where he'd beat the shit out of marty so yeah like two hormonal teenage boys yeah. on steroids is a hot mess. I feel better about my hormones now. Then Bobby gets really into porn, but not just like normal porn. He Some gets bondage. really into no, no. Oh, okay. He gets really into violent and very, very bizarre porn. Okay. And Marty and other friends say that Bobby had like a very real obsession. He was constantly looking at it constantly collecting magazines and videos and he would always make his friends marty in particular watch with him like humiliation then i don't know he just would you didn't ask him (laughs) no he just would why bobby then he discovers gay porn and it's like a whole other ball game yeah so the boys would make a big show of putting on a video of two guys or buying a magazine with guys in it and acting all grossed out and laughing at it and stuff. But like they but just like kept, continue but they, watching. But they kept doing it. Dude, so like this is so gross. Yeah. So like Let the next one in. <laughs> read, yeah, literally. Like read between the lines. Yeah. That's exactly it. So Marty claims that Bobby had already been interested in violent porn. And then when he discovered gay porn and he merged the two ideas, things just got bad. He was obsessed with the idea that gay men were gross and watching them perform violent and or degrading acts on each other was like something they had coming because they were gay and he just always wanted to watch it. If Bobby would put on a video and Marty wasn't interested in it or he would look away, Bobby would tackle him, straddle him, and then yank his head toward the screen and hold it in place so that he had to watch. Then Bobby got obsessed with the idea of making gay porn. I was going to say, this is no shock. No, not like starring in it, like directing it. Okay. Recruiting talent. (laughs) So Marty and Bobby intentionally befriend an openly gay man at the gym. And eventually they work in casually this idea Mm -hmm. that they would really like to do. They would like to direct a, a porno. And he says that he's open to trying a solo video. Okay. So they set it all up. They make this movie called rough boys and it's just this man by himself and you can hear marty and bobby off camera directing him and encouraging him to do super super degrading horrible things to himself that i'm not even going to relay the guy is super hesitant and really he's not into the idea of anything that they're suggesting but he really needs the money and they have convinced him that they'll be able to sell this video for like a ton Surprise, surprise. They made no money on this. Not a single porn shop wanted to buy this video. Feel bad for this guy. But they start doing this so, such an awful thing where when they're like hanging out with a bunch of people, they'd be like, oh, look at this thing we did. And they would pop the video in and like everyone would have to watch it. 
So this failed attempt at breaking into the porn industry only inspires Bobby to find some other avenue of kind of the same thing to exploit for money. So he and Marty start going to gay bars and clubs, and he signs Marty up for amateur striptease competitions. And Marty doesn't want to do it, but like with anything, it does Bobby like says jump. He just says how high, yeah. and he just has he feels like he has no choice but to do it. They do this because Marty's young and he's hot, and guys love him, so he's always approached after getting off stage. And they start collecting phone numbers and offering phone sex with Marty for twenty five dollars a call. The boys would also have this like inside joke at these clubs and bars where they were a gay couple. Okay. Th- literally, that's what a all fun it. inside joke. I know, <laughs> such a fun inside joke. So funny. So he's making Marty do all of this. And honestly, I have no idea what Marty's sexual orientation was. But regardless, like he was without a doubt being manipulated and pressured into doing this. And then. Whenever Bobby sensed that Marty might be enjoying himself, he would explode and berate or sometimes even beat him up for, quote, turning gay. So that's when he decided that Marty needed to start having sex with girls, but only girls that Bobby would pick out for him. He told everyone that Marty liked heavyset girls and that those were the only girls Bobby allowed Marty to hook up with. So this is what brings us back to that moment where they meet Allie and yeah, Lisa. Like, She's for and you. Ex- yeah, and so that kind of explains why Bobby like zeroed in on them. So they have that car sex experience. Allie goes back to Palm Bay and Lisa and Marty start talking on the phone a lot. And then one day he calls her and he tells her that his parents are going out of town for the weekend and he wants her to come over. So she's like ecstatic. She's been obsessed with him and can't believe her first boyfriend is basically one of these dudes on her bedroom wall. So she calls her friend Sharon and invites her to go with her because she knows that Bobby's going to be there. So that's making like a little double date of it. So the girls get there and they all immediately start drinking and smoking weed and being Being, dumb. Being dumb. And then Bobby's like, oh, I have something crazy to show you girls. And he puts in that porno. Yeah. And he puts that one porno on. And the guys just start laughing when the girls are all squeamish and say they don't want to watch it anymore because it was not porn. It was like really degrading things. Yeah, wasn't well done. <laughs> no. This little hangout turns into a super toxic 48 hours of sex and drugs. And I assume rock and roll, probably. <laughs> Some jams playing. The girls tried leaving on multiple occasions. They had only intended to hang out for a few hours that afternoon and not stay the entire weekend, but Bobby would not let them leave. And then, like, the boys kept simulating, like, sex acts on each other. Like, they were having, like, an orgy. Like, it was, like, group sex. Like, they were, the couples were having sex, like, in front of each other the whole time. And then at some point, the boys would simulate it on each other. So the girl Sharon asks, are you guys gay? And they start laughing and they're like, no, of course not. And then they go back to doing it. So despite that, yeah. the girls say that they never saw them have sex or actually have any sexual contact with each other, just yeah. with them, just with like the girls. Around. And yeah, so on the second day, Bobby went to make a sandwich and discovered that Marty had left the bag open. So now the bread had gone stale. So he charges at Marty He grabs him around the neck and he drags him down the hall, yanks him into this bedroom and slams the door. And the girls are sitting there like, what? We watch. What is this? And then they hear Marty screaming and crying, begging Bobby to please stop. Ooh. And Sharon's like, we need to leave now. This is our chance to leave. I don't want to be here. And 
Lisa's all hung up on Marty and she's like, no, I can't leave him while he's hurt. I need to, it's not safe. Yeah. I have to stay with him. But she doesn't do anything. She's just, they just sit it's out there baby. and wait. Yeah, literally. And then the boys come out. Marty is all bleeding and swollen. And Bobby just says, the party's over. You guys have to leave. Okay. <laughs> Bye. So, obviously, Marty and Lisa are now boyfriend and girlfriend. Because, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. like, why wouldn't you they be? They have the foundation of something beautiful. Uh-huh. And she was just, like, head over heels in love. Like, the only way a teenager knows how, which is not real love. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Just obsession. They're, like, completely inseparable. In this this line from the Jim Shoots book, it says, quote, Once having tasted Marty, Lisa knew she would have to die before she could give him up, before she could ever allow him to leave her bed. Losing him, returning to the realm of unrequited longing would be far worse than death itself. Her love for him was instant and savage. It was life and death. He was her hunk. She was his bitch. (laughs) The most epic line the of all time. Dramatic. What the hell? I feel like I've been in those relationships. Oh, anyways, this is uh, in January of 1993, by the way, just so that you can like place yourself there. So for the next six months, Lisa fell more and more in love with Marty and she became more and more resentful of Bobby because Bobby was constantly with them. He was super territorial over Marty and how he spent his time and who he spent it with. So if he didn't like literally show up with Marty to a date, he would at some point crash it. Like they were just never alone. Okay. So Lisa complained all the time that it was weird how close they were. And she hated that she could never be alone with her own boyfriend. And she also hated the way that Bobby treated Marty like a slave. Of course. He and he but he also like wouldn't try to hide it. Like he would beat him up. Or yeah. punch him in the face or do what it like anytime he just got irritated, he would just regardless of who was there. Yeah. Just he, snap. He'd just like snap and just he just treated him like a dog that he was there for his abuse. Yeah, that's disgusting. And then sometimes to be more creative with his punishments, like instead of hurting him himself, he would make Marty go into the kennel in the backyard where the Kents ha- kept their like very aggressive Doberman. And he would make him go into the kennel, which obviously is gonna aggravate the dog. Of course. And he would make him un try to un um, clip the dog's collar which again is really going to aggravate the dog and then Bobby would make him stay inside of this kennel while the dogs attacked and bit his legs and ankles until Bobby felt like it was enough it was enough punishment and then Marty could come back out he berated him constantly he still forced him to do these amateur strip teases and phone sex calls and Lisa just like hated it all obviously but she also believed that when Marty made fun of her, because like his favorite nickname for her was Shamu, it was only to appease Bobby because Bobby liked watching Marty bully other people. Mm-hmm. For example, when they were still in high school, they would go to like the special ed section and, no. they would, and they would take a football and they would wait until someone was walking out by themselves, uh, someone special needs. They would ask, do you want to play catch? And then the boys would just take turns throwing the football at the person while they tried to walk home the worst type of people and then even when they worked at the deli there was this older man with disabilities that would come he was like a regular customer and bobby also had this thing it's like it was well known among all the teenagers that he was a piece of shit Mm -hmm. but the adults he was very charismatic and respectful and polite so everyone loved him so he convinced his boss one day that he and marty should help this um customer carry his bags home and they did that to him on the way home 
he was holding he was supposed to get it's help disgusting. carrying his bags and they just like pummeled him with a football the entire way so that's him yeah so she really believed that he did those things to make bobby happy because bobby likes seeing him bully Be other evil. people but that's not true like she she had this idea that like hurt people hurt people and that when they were alone he was really sweet and he loved her and he was gentle but that's it's just not true no, he's an asshole Lisa's mom, Maureen, said that after they had started dating, she walked past Lisa's bedroom and overheard her arguing and crying on the phone. And then she heard Lisa say, don't ever hit me again. <gasps> Ooh. So Maureen charges in and she grabs the phone and she's like, did you hit my daughter? Yeah. And Marty won't say anything. And she's like, is that a hard question for you? Did you hit my daughter? And he tells her, the only thing I can say to you, lady, is that you're a pig and so is your daughter. And he hangs up. And Maureen is like, you're not oh, seeing him anymore. Oh. This is over. It's That's it. Yeah. And Lisa's like all emotional. Like, no, I love him. And so. He's just mad. She like tried. But ultimately, like, she's never there because she works. Lisa's almost 18 anyway. She's going to do what she wants. Like, what? Yeah. So there wasn't really much that her mom the could tough do. reality. Her mom was like, I should. It was. It was like asking my wall to move. It just wasn't, wasn't going to happen. happen. Yeah. I mean, the behavior got so bad that, like, a bunch of Lisa's friends started calling the house and asking Maureen to, like, somehow get Lisa away from Marty because he was so abusive and he was so terrible. Obviously, she continues to see Marty, and then a few months later, he tells her, I want to try something. So he persuades her to undress in front of he and Bobby. She stands there naked, and the guys berate her for being ugly and overweight. And then they took turns hitting her with a leather heavyweight belt before oh. each having sex with her. That's a lot. She felt very strongly after this was over that Marty hadn't wanted to do that to her, but that Bobby made him do it. So instead of feeling as though both boys had raped her, she felt like it was actually Bobby had just sort of degraded she and Marty like as a unit. So she and Marty start talking and Lisa's like, I think the way to get him out of our relationship is if we just like set him up with someone. That way he has something to do and he won't be around constantly. Oh yeah, put a woman into this. this is so she calls great. Allie, yeah. her best friend. She calls great. her. Great, yeah. she's awesome too. And she asks, do you want to go on a double date? And Allie's like, I'm, you know, I know I hooked up with him, but I'm not really into him. And yeah. I'm dating this new guy named Donnie. Like, I don't really want to. And she's like, please, please, please. She's like, fine, let's all, I'll hang out with you, whatever. She comes down for the weekend. Allie comes down to visit for the weekend. And the girls go over to Bobby's house. Mm -hmm. They're all hanging out. And then Bobby's mom unexpectedly comes home. So this means they can't drink or smoke or have sex or anything else like that. So Allie and Bobby end up sitting at the kitchen table talking for a few hours. They're talking about the future. He tells her about this car repair shop he and his dad are going to open together. And she's sharing her future goals. And they just seem to hit it off. And he seems like he's actually a pretty normal guy. Yeah. So the girls leave and Allie stays the night at Lisa's and they're just like gushing over these two guys. Like she's really into Bobby and Lisa's really happy that her plan is working. So the next day the girls go back to Bobby's to hang out again. And this time they're alone. So Allie and Bobby go back to his room to have sex while Marty and Lisa watch TV in the living room. She said that he closed the door and while she undressed, he was by the TV popping a video in. So they get in bed and they start fooling around and then the video plays and it's a gay porn video with two guys Shocker. doing very violent things and she's like what the hell turn this off and she turns away from the screen bobby responds by punching her in the face yanking her head back to look at the screen and hold her there to stare at the screen as he starts to rape her 
she's crying, her nose is bleeding, and she's begging him to stop. But of course, he's he's not going to stop. Instead, he says, tell me I'm the best sex you've ever had, baby. And she won't do it. She's crying, and she doesn't want to. So he slaps her, and he says, no, say it. And so then she says it as he's raping her. So it get, it's over. She gets dressed quickly. She runs out to Lisa and she's like, I want to leave right now. And she tells Lisa everything. And Lisa's furious. Like, this was like the last straw, obviously, because he raped her friend. Uh, yeah, yeah. So Allie goes back to Palm Bay. And then Lisa finds out that she is pregnant with Marty's baby. <gasps> So okay. she starts freaking Jesus out. Christ. She doesn't know how he's going to react, and she's afraid of what Bobby might do when he learns about it. So when she finally works up the courage to tell Marty, she asks her cousin, Derek DeVerco, to drive her over there. And I am going to refer to him as DeVerco as his last name because there's another Derek that comes into the picture in a minute, and okay. so I'm just trying to differentiate them. Thank you. So per usual, Bobby and Marty are hanging out at the house, and she asks Marty to come with her to speak privately. So while they're in the other room, Bobby and DeVerco are watching TV, and Bobby goes, you want to see something crazy? Again. Yeah, and he pops into the VCR, that porn video that he and Marty had directed. And DeVerco's like, what the f-? Like, tell Lisa I'm going to wait outside. And then she comes running out. She's hysterical. Marty's behind her, and he's, like, belligerent with anger. And she's like, we need to leave. So when they're in the car, she tells her cousin that she's pregnant, Marty doesn't want her to have it. He told her that she needs to scrounge up enough money for an abortion because, like, he doesn't want anything to do with this. Mm-hmm. Surprise. She no. doesn't come up with the money. She can't get the money. So she, she's like, we're in this now. We in this. Like, I'm not. I don't I, have enough money to do this. So let's raise a child. So we're going to have a child. Perfect. Yeah. So she and Marty meet up alone. And she's just like, why do you put up with Bobby? He is so awful to you and to everyone else. He needs to be out of our lives. And at first, Marty was like, no, he doesn't mean it. He's he's nice deep down. He just gets angry sometimes. And she's like, no, that's not how it's anger evil. works. He just raped Allie the other day. It's not excusable. And then Marty, hearing that, just breaks down and confesses everything to her. He tells her about how toxic and violent Bobby has always been. And it's been this way since they were seven. He's never really experienced a normal friendship before. So this is like all he has to go off of and he hates it, but he doesn't have any other frame of reference. He tells her that after hurting him, Bobby would always apologize and remind him that they were best friends and that nothing would ever change that. So Marty would always like wind up forgiving him and believed it would get better, which is like just textbook abusive relationship from age seven. So this like literally is just normal to him. And then he makes this joke like, this only changes if Bobby just goes away. And Lisa's like, yeah, I guess that means we have to kill him. And they're both joking, but but, not. but now that they've both said it out loud, they start like, thinking. You know what, let's just do it. So one thing leads to another, and this idea to kill Bobby starts to feel like a real logical solution to them. Mm-hmm. So Lisa calls Allie, and she asks her to come back down to visit because she has a plan to get revenge on Bobby for what he did to her. So she agrees, and she comes back down, uh, this time she brings her friend Heather and that other guy that uh, she's been dating, Donnie. Donnie's also a high school dropout who likes to take acid regularly and dreams of becoming a DJ on MTV. Oh, and Heather Donnie. is like fresh out of rehab for it, her for crack cocaine addiction. Okay. And I don't say either of those things, those Not bits like of information yeah. as a shameful way, but just more like a, this is who we're talking about. This is the life that they are living. Yeah. They have no supervision. They have no support system, nothing like that. Mm-hmm. So 
They meet up with Marty and Lisa at Pizza Hut, and Lisa starts telling the others about what she and Marty had been discussing, murdering Bobby. Mm -hmm. And Allie is like, yes, cool, let's do it. Eat my pizza first, and then let's get to it. Yeah. Donnie and Heather don't even know Lisa or Marty. This is the first time they met, much less this guy Bobby everyone's hating on. Like, they don't know. But they don't seem phased by the other three all agreeing openly that murder was a very acceptable solution. solution. Yeah. So as a way to like hype them up on the idea, Lisa tells Heather and Donnie about Bobby raping Allie only a few days before, which was news to her boyfriend, Donnie. Mm -hmm. So then he's on board and they start spitballing ideas like poison, drive-by shooting, running him over. There's like so many options, but they just don't know which is the right one. And then someone is like, actually, I know a girl who knows a guy who is a hitman for the mafia and he lives right here in Hollywood. He's the guy to call. Yeah. So somehow they get connected to this supposed 20-year-old mafia hitman (laughs) named Derek Kaufman. And I'm going to call him Kaufman to differentiate. differentiate him from the other Derek. And they all go meet him at his parents' house where he lives. Perfect. (laughs) So they tell him what they need. And he's like, oh, yeah. Yep, totally. This is something I do all the time. I kill people all the time for the mafia. The only issue is I don't have any clean guns right now. They're all out on loan for other heads. So we'll just have to reconnect again in the future. And Lisa's furious because she's like, no, I need this done tonight. And Kaufman is just like, yeah, sorry. I don't know what to tell you. Good luck in your endeavors. Mm -hmm. Goodbye. So this is super upsetting. Allie is pissed because she needs to go back to Palm Bay tomorrow. And <laughs> this was is hoping, so inconvenient. Yes, she was hoping it would happen same day. Yeah. Like an Amazon oh, fair, delivery. Fair, fair, fair. Lisa's furious because she feels like the longer Bobby's alive, the worse her life in relationship with Marty is. So they reconvene and they decide that Lisa and Allie are going to do this themselves. Lisa's mom, Maureen, keeps a handgun in her nightstand. So they're just going to use that. Yeah. Bobby's already said a few times that he wants to see Allie again, so this should be easy. So they have Marty set up a double date with Bobby for that evening, July 13th, and he agrees. The plan was for Marty to bail last minute, and when Bobby says something about, like, well, you know, Lisa should bail too, Allie will just whine and say something like, well, but she's my best friend and I miss her. Let her stay. We'll just, we'll, we'll just Yeah, we'll yeah. just sneak off for a few minutes be alone. Then when she gets Bobby with his pants down, like, literally... They agreed that Allie would signal to Lisa when to shoot him from behind. The plan goes off without a hitch. Marty bails. Bobby agrees Lisa can stay. And then Allie leads him off to this like deserted swamp area to smoke and just drink and be stupid. You know, Mm -hmm. Allie starts giving him a blowjob after positioning him with his like back from Lisa. Okay. Lisa quietly creeps up behind him. She's standing there a few feet behind them, pointing the gun at Bobby's back. Allie signals to her repeatedly. Do it. But Lisa loses her nerve and runs back to the car. So Allie has no choice but to keep going and act like everything's fine. And then they hang out and they drink a bit more before the girls take him home and drop him off. And like she's not alone with Lisa. So she can't like when they go back to Lisa at the car, she can't be like, Like, what what happened? Yeah, Yeah, she can't. They just have to act normal after they drop him off at home. Lisa claims that she remembered at the last minute that she saw something on TV, something about police being able to trace bullets back to the gun owner, and she didn't want to implicate her mom. So the group again reconvenes to come up with a new plan. They go back to Kaufman and they ask if he's willing to do the hit with them, but use knives instead of guns. And they this is not a real hitman. This is some dumb oh, punk. Oh, really? And 
he runs so they've put him on the spot and he agrees to do it because he's got a reputation to uphold he runs a gang called crazy motherfuckers <laughs> and Can he's got to put that on the spot yeah he's got a tattoo on his arm that says cmf like tattooed next yeah. to a dragon just like as further proof that like Perfect. he isn't a gang i mean he's just he's a loser he's just he's one of those guys he was like 20 or 21 and most of the members of this gang that he runs is are teenagers some as young as 10 and 11 so he's one so of they those are crazy motherfuckers. He's, <laughs> he's one of those losers who only hangs out with young people who don't realize he's a loser because yes, he's older we all know those yeah so they decide they're going to recreate last night's plan that lisa didn't go through with but this time they'll have a larger group there to make sure it gets done and they'll use knives so Marty tells Bobby, hey, after last night, Allie says she wants to see you again. We're all going to hang out tonight, so you should come. And so Bobby agrees. On the evening of July 14th, 1993, Bobby showered, got dressed, and said goodbye to his parents. He told them he was heading out to hang out with friends and that he'd be back in a few hours. The group caravans to another deserted, swampy marsh area, and they're all drinking and hanging out. The group consisted of Marty, Lisa, Allie, Bobby... Lisa's cousin, DeVirgo, Donnie, Allie's new boyfriend, and her friend, Heather, and then this mafia hit guy, Kaufman. Whole crew. Bobby was really surprised that so many strangers were there, but they all acted super nonchalant, so he didn't really seem suspicious of them. Mm -hmm. So the plan was Allie would again lead, Bob lead Bobby off to be alone, but then Heather would like casually wander over. And when she felt it was the right time, she would point to the shoreline of the swamp and ask Bobby, hey, are there alligators in there? This would be the cue for Donnie to jump out from the shadows and stab Bobby in the back. So it all works out. She says it. And Bobby turns to her and said, I don't know. Why don't you skinny dip and find out? Oh, good idea, Bob. And then Donnie jumped out and yeah. stabbed Bobby in the back of the neck. Bobby jumps away from him and he starts yelling, he hit me, I've been hit, I've been hit. And he's like stumbling backwards. It's all dark too. Remember yeah. that. They don't have any lights on. The headlights are all turned off. So this, this is really dark. He's stumbling backwards. He's grabbing his neck. He's yelling for the others to come help. And they all start approaching and Bobby pulls his hand back from his, his back and he realizes it's like dripping in blood. And then he looks up and he sees Marty approaching him with a knife. Bobby just starts panicking and apologizing and he keeps saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Marty. Whatever I've done, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And then Marty pounces on him, stabbing him in the abdomen and then he twisted the knife. And when he pulled it away, part of Bobby's intestines came out and hung over his belt. Like the movies. As soon as Donnie had struck him, Allie and Heather screamed and ran back to the car. Heather got in the back seat, curled into a ball, and covered her ears and just stayed like that the whole time. Allie got in the driver's seat and started the car and turned the headlights on. So during that time that the girls had been running away, Marty had gotten him in the stomach, stabbed him in the stomach. He'd stepped back, and he and Bobby both, like, stared at the intestines, totally stunned. And mm -hmm. then out of nowhere, Bobby just takes off running, like, full a pumped with adrenaline and um, probably steroids he's running running as fast as he can off into the dark yeah marty is so stunned that he just like stands there and watch him run away and then he snaps out of it when kaufman starts screaming don't let him get away don't let him go we have to get him we have to get him so donnie marty and kaufman chase after him and then so that is at that moment where Allie got in her car she turns the light on there i mean the headlights yeah. on 
and she sees Bobby running at her car yeah. with his intestines hanging out and he collapses right at the hood of her car. And then she sees the three other guys come out of the dark oh, what from, a different, from different places with like all of their knives and they slowly approach him because he's collapsed onto yeah. the ground now. They realize he's alive. So Kaufman starts screaming, we have to finish him, we have to finish him. So Marty straddles Bobby's chest, pinning his arms down with his knees. He grabs Bobby by the hair, pulls his head towards him, and then slams him down on the cement so hard that he fractured a bunch of vertebrae. But Bobby is still alive, and he's still pleading for his life and apologizing. So Marty takes his knife, and he saws back and forth oh across- Oh my God, okay, I hate that very much, huh? <laughs> Bobby's throat. Yeah, really, Sorry. I don't love I that. I should have warned. That visual's tough. Marty gets up, and he stands back, and they all stare at Bobby on the ground- and he's still alive. His voice box has been fully severed, but he's moving his head around and he's trying to mouth something. So Marty leans down and he plunges the knife in Bobby's chest with so much force that it just barely punctured the skin on Bobby's back. So it just went all the way through. Almost. And Bobby is still alive. Even after this. I would be suspicious at this point. Well, these kids are all dumb. I'm just going to yeah. say it. low IQ individuals all on drugs and and young and young people are just dumb. You're not fully developed then. Yeah. So they really believe that as long as he's alive, it means that he will survive. Got it. Okay. Like they don't, they don't think let nature that, do it. No, they thing. don't. Yeah, exactly. So that's when Kaufman, the mafia guy, grabs a metal bat from the car and he stands over Bobby and he kills him with one blow to the head and it, everything goes silent. The hitman had to do it. Diverco had remained in the car all this time. He supposedly didn't know about the plan to murder anyone. He was under the impression that they were luring Bobby out there to beat him up. So when Allie had gotten back in the car and turned the headlights on and they saw what was happening, Diverco just starts screaming, you have to drive away, drive as fast mm -hmm. as you can. He's so freaked out. But this all happened in like less than a minute, you know? So... Before, There's not much you can do about before it. she can drive away. Kaufman is at the door, dragging Diverka out of the car and demanding he help move the body down to the water. Kaufman said they needed to leave him closer to the shore so that the alligators would eat him and remove any evidence of what happened. Okay. And Diverko is so terrified. He pees his pants. Fair. He doesn't want to do it, but he's just watched these three guys viciously murder someone. So what are they going to do to him? What, yeah, they'll do that to him if he says no. So he gets out. He helps carry his body down to the shore and they dump him like half submerged in the water. And they just think that the alligators are going to we'll do the rest we'll of it. Do the rest of it. Lisa had been standing at her car during the entire murder, hyperventilating and watching all of it. But as soon as it was over, like a little worker bee. She buzzed around picking up all the knives and all of the evidence that she could find. They all pile back into the cars and they drive to a nearby beach. And it's like at 2 a.m. at this point. Lisa collects all of the knives and buries them deep in the sand. And then she stands up and she goes, wait, a dog is just going to dig this up. Someone's going to bring their dog here and their dog will dig this up and find the blood. People bring their dogs here all the time and the lifeguards don't do shit, even though it's illegal to bring your dog on the beach. She's like ranting about how people don't obey the law of yeah. not bringing your dog on the beach after she just murdered. murdering someone. Yeah. So she digs the, the knives back up and she throws them out into the ocean as far as she can. And then they all sit there and talk about an alibi. They decided to say that Marty had last seen Bobby the day before. 
He would say that he asked Bobby to hang out on the night of the 14th, but that Bobby turned him down because he supposedly had a date with a new girl that nobody knew. Okay. While they're discussing this, Derek Kaufman asks, who will be the first to miss Bobby? And without missing a beat, Marty says, his dad, he really loves him. He gets up every morning and makes Bobby breakfast. So they decided that when Marty got home, I don't understand this because I think it's so stupid. He would call and leave a message for Bobby. Something like, hey, it's Marty, just calling you like you asked me to do when I got home. So now you know I'm at home. So that way it insinuates Marty assumes that Bobby is at home and that Bobby had asked to like, let me know when you get home safely kind of thing. Not suspicious at all. Yeah. this Obviously, they're talking about calling a landline. And so they had all assumed that the ringer would be turned off for the evening so that it wouldn't disturb his parents yes. or his sister. So Marty goes home and at 4 a.m. calls the Kent's landline and starts to leave a message. He says, Bobby, this is Marty Puccio. I called you. You asked me to call you when I got home. And before he can hang up, Bobby's dad, Fred, answers the phone and he's like, hey, Marty. This is Marty Puccio. And Marty panics and hangs up. So Fred lays there for a bit. Look, obviously, he's disoriented. The phone woke him up and he's thinking like how weird. weird that was and how weird it was that Marty had said this is Marty Puccio because literally th- Marty and Bobby at this point are 20 years old. They have been inseparable since the age of seven. Yeah. So he the knows, fact that who he, it is. Yeah, so everyone knows who it is. It's, it was so weird. So Fred gets up and he went to Bobby's bedroom and he wasn't there. And it was clear that he hadn't come home at all. And he felt uneasy, but he just assumed the boys were up to something stupid. And he didn't have any way of reaching Bobby anyways because it's the early 90s. So he went back to bed. A few hours later, he gets up and he checks on Bobby again and he still isn't home. This isn't like Bobby at all. So Fred decided to work from home that day that way. Whenever Bobby did roll in, they could have a very frank discussion about where Bobby was going in life and maybe not spending time with people like Marty anymore. Okay. Before Bobby had gone out the night before, his mom, Farah, had asked him, are you on or are you off tomorrow? Bobby and his sister and his parents all worked like a regular schedule, so it was a typical question they'd always ask each other, are you on or off tomorrow? And he told her, I'm off, so we can all do something together. And she teased him and said, like, don't say that unless you mean it. So in the middle of the night on the July 14th, while he's being murdered, Farah had a dream that Bobby was standing in front of her, confused, and repeatedly asking her, am I on or am I off? Am I on or am I off? <gasps> Mommy, I don't know Ooh. if I'm on or if I'm off tomorrow. She said he just I kept, got chills. I know, I just got chills too, even though I've read this a million yeah. times. She said he just kept repeating it over and over and over again until finally he says, It doesn't even matter anymore. I'm tired. I'm just going to rest. She said that she jolted awake, like as if someone had shook her. She jolts awake and she has this terrible feeling and she jumps up and she runs to the front of the house and looks out the front window. Yeah. And she sees that Bobby's car is in the driveway. So she's relieved. She thinks he's in bed Mm -hmm. and she goes back to sleep. But by noon on the 15th, there's still no sign of Bobby. So Fred walks down to Marty's house to see if he knows anything. Marty opens the door and Fred immediately knows something's off. He's all fidgety. He's weird. And he claims that he hasn't seen Bobby since the day before, which again is unusual. They see each other constantly. Yeah. While they're standing there, Lisa comes up behind Marty in hysterics and is like, what is it? What's going on? In a very clear panic. Mm -hmm. And let me be clear. Like Fred is worried at this point. 
but he has not reached the level of panic. Pan- yeah. So it's really weird for to her jump to, to, to jump to this conclusion or to, to have this reaction at just seeing Bobby's dad standing there talking to Marty. So as soon as, soon as she comes up and she's crying like this, Marty turns to her and snaps, shut the fuck up and go back inside. Okay. And then he turns to Fred and he says, I don't know where Bobby is. And he slams the door. So Fred immediately, literally leaves Marty's door and goes straight to the place and files a Good. missing persons report. So to make a super, super long and convoluted story short, within 24 hours of Bobby's death, almost all seven of the kids start talking and telling others about what happened. Whether it be from bragging or out of remorse, varied person to person, but the point is they all told the couldn't secret. Keep, yeah, no. couldn't keep their mouth shut. And police were on to them pretty quickly, especially Marty, since he was so close to the missing person. And during one of the police interviews before they knew for certain that he had been killed, they thought he was just missing. Mm-hmm. Um, they asked Marty if he has any knowledge of what happened or where Bobby is. And he says, no way. I, I hope he's not. I pray to God he's not dead because I wouldn't. I don't know how I'd live my life. It would be very hard for me. Why are we jumping to the conclusion of death, Marty? And then on July 18th, just four days after Bobby was murdered, they found his body. Okay. Enough of the participants, including Kaufman, Mm -hmm. who had claimed to be that mafia hitman, they all confessed what they had done. So at 5 a.m. on July 19th, police arrived at Marty's house to arrest him, but he wasn't there. And remember, uh, Bobby and Marty are neighbors. Mm -hmm. So when the police are getting ready to leave, they see Bobby's father, Fred, running at them from his house. And he asks them, what's going on? Does this have to do with my son? Do you know where he is? And that is when the police realized no one, no one had him. notified them that <sighs> he had died. So here's an example of how naive these kids are. All seven of them were getting picked off slowly, like one by one getting arrested. And Marty and Lisa knew they were next. And they started panicking and making plans to leave the state because they really believed if they crossed state lines, then it was like They're a fine. free pass. Yeah. yeah, they'd be fine. So- that doesn't happen. They get arrested. Allie and Lisa both cooperate and tell the truth. And then they're both shocked when they get arrested. Like, but we're honest. Because they believed. Yes. They oh, believed no, that no, telling no. the truth and admitting that, yes, they lured him there, but they didn't actually harm him was enough to get arrested. To, to, to not be. Yeah. They thought that they were like in the clear. It's like when your parents tell you that if you just say the truth, that they won't get mad at you. Right. They're like, well, that crosses over to the law, too. Yeah, duh. <laughs> so everyone's arrested. Everyone starts pointing the finger at Marty and Lisa for being the masterminds behind this. Um, but initially, they didn't really admit to that. Lisa, to this day, tries to minimize her role in it and claim that it was all someone else's idea. But everyone says it was her idea. She came up with it. So the one thing that all of the kids could agree on was that Bobby had to die because he was a vicious bully. And none of them could see what the big deal was about that. And what's sad about DeVerco being present that night, Lisa's mom, Maureen, had asked him to maybe hang out with Lisa a little bit more when she realized that Lisa wasn't going to break up with him because they had been best friends as kids. And then as teenagers, they kind of went in different directions. He's kind of a comic comic book D&D Yeah, like a little nerd, but yeah. But then she was getting in trouble, drinking, smoking, dating shitty guys, like that kind of thing. And so... He was making an effort to try to be there for his cousin and spend time with her when she invited him. And so that's why he was there, which is really, really sad. So after 
all of this happened, Maureen obviously said, I really regret that decision because she says um, it backfired. He got caught up in her whirlpool. He got caught up in her whirlpool. Whirlpool. I can't say that word. Whirlpool. 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 Yeah, the whirlpool. (laughs) (laughs) It backfired. He got caught up in her whirlpool. It's an awful word. Just stick with it. He didn't save her. She took him down with her, which is just really sad. Yeah. So I had included those really graphic details of his murder intentionally Mm -hmm. because when you know how aggressively and viciously they murdered him. Yeah. The rage didn't like just die off. Yeah. It, it makes all seven kids attitudes after the fact that much more grotesque. They openly admitted to their roles, yet they all insisted they, quote, did nothing wrong. Lisa and Allie admitted to luring him out into the marsh with the intention of killing him not once, but two nights in a row. Heather and DeVerco admit to going along with the plan, but didn't do anything to stop them. And Kaufman, Marty, and Donnie all admit exactly how they killed Bobby. Everyone told literally the same story. So one day during the preliminary hearings, all seven of the kids are sitting together in the jury box. The courtroom's like somewhat empty. There's like a few family members, a couple reporters, but it's like quiet because all the attorneys are meeting with the judge in his chambers. So mm-hmm. everyone in the room is sort of like waiting. So everyone's kind of milling about. There's like small murmurs here and there. And then the kids start whispering to each other. One's like, oh, I don't even know why I'm here. I didn't do anything. And they're all like, you stabbed him first. What do you call that? And then they start accusing each other of like being snitches and making deals to get off easier than the others and so forth. And I'm not exaggerating. Like they all admitted to what they had done. Like I didn't do anything. I only let him there so you guys could do it. Or I didn't do anything. I just hit him with the bat to put him out of his misery. Or I didn't do anything. I just ran away when you guys did it and so forth. Like that kind of thing. Like that's what they're bickering back and forth literally in the courtroom. Saying what they've done. So it's like whisper bicker. Yeah. And then they realize the entire room is quiet. Listening. And every single person is staring at them, listening to their every word. So to cut to the chase, Marty, Kaufman, and Donnie all got life sentences without the possibility of parole, and they're still in prison today. Derverko and Lisa each served 11 years. Allie served eight years, and Heather served seven. All of them, all four of those, are now free with lives and jobs and children of their own. Heather has never spoken publicly, but Allie, Lisa, and DeVerco have repeatedly spoken out and minimized their roles in the crime. On the 20th anniversary of Bobby's murder, DeVerco gave an interview and said, quote, Honestly and truthfully, I've made peace with this a long time ago. I don't have bad dreams about it. I don't think about it. I don't dwell on it. I don't ponder it. I've moved on. And in the same article, Bobby's sister, Layla Kent, said, quote, It disgusts me that they have freedom after killing someone. They're horrible people and they should be ashamed of what they did. So Lisa Connolly, she has a blog about like true crime or like her involvement in the murder or something. Mm -hmm. Like I don't really understand what it is, but either way, I found the blog post about her experience giving birth to Marty's daughter while she was serving her sentence. Uh So about the moment after the final push when her daughter was finally born, she says, quote, A ringing silence filled the room in the stillness until the cry of my baby broke through every other thought. Tears spilled from my eyes. She was the most beautiful little thing I had ever seen, all pink and chubby. The police moved forward to unlock my hands, allowing me to hold her momentarily. Feeling her tiny hand in my own and the weight of her body against my chest 
shifted something deep in my soul. Suddenly, I had meaning and purpose outside of myself. After the allotted recovery time, the guards made a motion that I had to go. I shook my head back and forth frantically. No, please, just a little longer, I begged through sobs. It's time, the guard said without any inflection. I handed my baby off to my dad, trying to sear into my memory the feel of her in my arms, the perfect contour of her nose, and the smell of her breath. As soon as she was out of my hands, the handcuffs snapped tightly around my wrists and I was led shuffling away back to my cell. The concrete walls of my cell seemed to close in more tightly around me than ever before. For the first time, I felt the incredible weight of guilt for what I had done. Lying in the bunk bed, staring at the metal slab of the bed above me, I stared into the abyss of regret. I could have stopped this. I could have said something, but I didn't. I had been swept away by the opportunity for attention from a boy I thought had loved me. I let my need to be loved outweigh my judgment. I sought sleep as a savior from conscious thoughts, but it was both elusive and taunting. Every two hours, the pain in my breast full of milk woke me as a reminder to feed the baby that had been ripped from my arms. It went against every instinct I had to lie down, ignoring the desperate need to be with my daughter. During my waking hours, I wanted to climb out of my own skin to avoid the full body sobs that consumed me and the dark spiraling thoughts that ate through my mind, leaving me unrecognizable from the person I had been only a year ago. Unquote. Beautiful writer. No. Okay. No. Well, I don't want to compliment her, but like that was. No. Wow. Because I, well, I felt like that was an appropriate note to end on because hearing from Lisa herself for the briefest of times and really only for selfish reasons, she felt regret for what she had done after she experienced a sliver of the pain Something and loss taken from her that she inflicted on the Kents. Yes. And I, I, I want to say that I do believe all of the allegations made against Bobby as a bully and a rapist. I believe all of that, but that doesn't make murder acceptable. He may have done terrible things and he should pay for those things, but not through death. No. And nobody deserves to die the way that he died. And it also the, ruins at, his family's at the, life. Yeah, at the very least, his family didn't deserve to be ripped apart in the most vicious way possible. Fred and Farrah Kent have to spend the rest of their lives grieving the horrific loss of their child because of what Lisa orchestrated. And that's the story of Bobby Kent's murder. The whole time I was listening to that, I just kept thinking, I'm never having children. Oh, <laughs> that's horrific. Really? That was really well done, though. That was, I mean, I got full body chills a couple times. It was, yeah, it was pretty chilly. Yeah. Yeah. I got those chills in 100 degree weather. So good, good work. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Good work. Very just dist- de- devastating. <laughs> devastating. Yeah. It's very devastating. And it's just devastating that these dumbass kids. Some of them have also, like, Bobby is not the only one who lost his life that night. Three no. of them are in prison for the rest of their lives. Yeah. And and it's all because they can't think beyond a few days from now. Yeah, the consequences, yeah. lifelong. Well, Anyways, that was... That was something. That was something. That was definitely was something. We've had a heavy start to season four, but... Heavy, heavy. That's what y'all are here for. We'll, we'll balance it out with our delicious cocktails. Yeah. I'm excited for you guys to try them. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I love you. I love you, too. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you enjoy listening. We owe everything to the many journalists, authors, filmmakers, psychiatrists, and psychologists whose extensive work and expertise we pulled from to share this episode with you. 
For all of our detailed source material, please visit our website, thecrimebarpodcast.com. If you'd like to see content from today, you can find us on Instagram and YouTube at Crime Bar Podcast. We really love doing this show, and if you'd like to help the continued creation of it, you can support by donating to our Patreon, which we have linked on our website as well as our Instagram, patreon.com slash crimebarpodcast. This episode was hosted by Ashley Brumley-Johnson and Anna Katerina. We'll see you next week.